So as we come to think about that wonderful passage now, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that it is a living word. It is your eternal word. Help us to hear what you're saying this morning and help me to speak clearly and faithfully your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I guess as we look at our lives today and compare them with a few months ago, we can say that life has been reshaped by COVID-19. Um, in many temporary ways over the last few months, um, ways that we're only just becoming out of now, people's lives have been transformed. So many children have been homeschooled. Um, many people have had to stay in their homes. Many people have had to work from home. And church has been closed for many weeks and only just reopens. And there's still some ongoing changes to life that will carry on as the lockdown's been eased, but there's still restrictions in place. So, for example, in church, we can't sing songs together and we have to stay distanced. In shops, you have to remain distanced. Um, if you travel on public transport, you have to wear a face mask and so on. And even as we go forward and in the long term, um, some things probably will change permanently. Uh, many people say that working at home will become much more common. Many offices in town and city centres may well close as a result. Uh, and more negatively, possibly many businesses will go bust as a result of COVID-19. This horrible virus is reshaping our lives in all kinds of ways. And yet, I suppose it forces us to reflect on the shape of our lives, to reflect on our attitudes and our behaviour, the way we live. Forces us to ask questions like, um, why bother travelling a long distance for a meeting with people when actually it would be much quicker, easier, cheaper and more environmentally friendly to have the meeting on Zoom? Uh, some people have already said to themselves, I'd much rather work from home. It's much easier than commuting every day into an office. And actually, I get more done that way. Others might question our attitudes and might realise that actually we do need to value those that are key workers much more. It makes us rethink the shape of our lives before coronavirus. To rethink the way we used to live life. Maybe realising some things we miss, but actually realising that there's new things, new opportunities that we can take on to live a life that is better. But as Christians, we really should be thinking, how is God wanting to shape my life? How does God want me to live? Well, the letter to 1 Peter, as we saw last week, is written to scattered refugees people who are exiles living as Christians in small towns, um, in places which are very distinctly unchristian. Possibly they're exiles from Rome itself and um, living in places that are, they feel very out of it, very much like refugees. And here they are trying to live a Christian life but surrounded by people that aren't Christians and, and feeling like exiles, feeling like it's tough, feeling like it's hard. And Peter writes to them to encourage them and to inspire them and to spur them on to live for God. And, and last week we saw in the first, um, first 12 verses of the letter, Peter really wants to encourage um, 
his readers about what God has done for them, how he's given them a new birth into a living hope which they can rejoice in, even though life can be tough for the moment. They have a future to look forward to. As Peter moves on and begins to show us how we should be living our lives, he doesn't forget about those encouragements. Actually, he wants us to see the truths about who we are in God as forces that will shape the way we live our lives. And so as we come to look at this letter, we see that we are shaped by God's grace. And there's three particular themes or forces that he talks about throughout these verses um, that he wants us to see and understand that they can help to shape the way we live our lives in the light of who we are as God's people, as those saved by Christ. And the first is that we have a future hope. Peter spoke about this a lot in the, in the previous few verses. He talks, says how we've been reborn into a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there again in verse 13, he picks up on this and says, Therefore, if minds are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He's talking about what we're going to receive, the blessings from God we're going to receive when Christ comes again. This is a future hope. And it's not hope like we often talk about hope as Christian, as people today. This is a certain hope. Back in verse 3 again, Peter says that it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead that can give us a confidence and a certainty that this promise of eternal life is possible. So as Christians, we have a certain hope, a definite hope. And that can spur us on, that can encourage us when we're going through tough times, as Peter knows that these people he's writing to are. And as you may be feeling today, maybe you feel being a Christian is tough, maybe it's hard, maybe you're even thinking about giving up on faith. Peter says, remember, focus on, set your hope on the future that God has for you that will get you through the presence. And in verses 24 to 25, he quotes this quote from Isaiah chapter 40. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Isaiah wrote those words for people that were going to be exiles from the land of Israel in Babylon. At that time, it seemed like the Babylonian Empire was the be-all and end-all. They'd come and they completely crushed Israel. They'd destroyed their temple, broken down the walls of Jerusalem, and, and, and brought many of the people of Israel to live in Babylon as exiles. Many nations just sort of dissolved and disappeared under the pressure of this Babylonian oppression. But Isaiah writes to the Israelites, to God's people, and he says to them, you see the glory of the Babylonians? It won't last. It will fade and disappear. But God's word, his promises to you as his people, they will last forever. And so the people of God, the Israelites, um, persevered in following their gods in the midst of the Babylonian um, empire. And ultimately were able to return to the promised land and continue. 
And now 600 years later, Peter, in a time of the Romans, is writing to these scattered refugees, possibly people that have been kicked out of Rome by the emperor, um, Claudius, we saw that last week. Um, but certainly in awe, maybe, of, of the power of the Roman Empire, um, in places where people are being encouraged, um, some, some places, to, to worship the emperor as a god. And they're wondering, well, isn't Rome everything? Isn't Rome the ultimate power? Why trust in God? And Peter says to these people, quoting from Isaiah, you see the glory of Rome? You see their ability to conquer everyone in front of them? Uh, and at the time, the Roman Empire was expanding, I mean, big ways. Peter says, actually, that glory will fade. Rome won't last. But God's word, God's promise to you will last forever. And to us, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, sorry, we can look at the faded glory of Rome. You can visit the ruins in, in Rome itself. We can look back to the faded glory of the Babylonian Empire. And yet we still have God's eternal word. And it may be that today, as Christians, we're living in a country which increasingly is losing its Christian um, sense, its Christian understanding, its idea of, that it is a Christian country. We live in a country where less and less people um, actually claim to be Christians, less and less people um, take, any, take a faith, the Christian faith seriously. We can feel that Christianity is on the wane, and those that say that um, God is a load of rubbish, that God doesn't exist, that science disproves God, they seem to have the power, they seem to have the energy. And yet Peter would say to us, even as um, scatters small groups of Christians in this culture, in this setting, he would say to us, you see their glory, you see that culture that seems to dismiss God, it will fade like the grass. But God's promise to you will stand forever. We need to be people that are shaped by God's grace, shaped by this future hope that we have, um, so that we can stand firm as Christians living in a world that often rejects God and rejects Christ. Secondly, the second force that shapes us is that we're freed from sin. Um, we see this in verse 14. Um, Peter's writing to the people here and he's saying, look, no longer conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He's saying, look, you, as before you were Christians, you used to live the same way as everyone else. Before you were Christians, you, you'd follow through on your desires um, and not worry too much about them, about that. You wouldn't worry about how God thought about you. You wouldn't worry about um, whether you're obeying God or following God or not. And actually, your lives often were a mess as a result. And in verse 18, he says that you were redeemed from the empty way of life or the futile way of life handed down to you. The life that many people live, running after money, running after wealth, running after fame, um, running after relationships, running after all these things, these are futile because they don't last. And ultimately they can't give you true happiness. Only God can do that. Without God, life is futile. And Peter says, remember who you are. You are people who have been freed or redeemed from that way of life. You've been redeemed from that way of living. 
In the Old Testament, when it talks about people being redeemed, um, it was true of Isaiah. Isaiah talked about people being redeemed from the Babylonians, i.e. being released from their oppression um, so they could come, return home to the promised land, which eventually they were allowed to do. But in telling that story, Isaiah looked back to um, the Egyptians, to Israel's time in Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt. And the Old Testament often talks about um, people being redeemed from slavery in Egypt. God rescues people from slavery, but most of all, as Christians today, he rescues us from slavery to sin. He calls us out of our old way of life to a new way of life. He calls us to be free. But redemption costs. In Peter's day, if you were a slave um, and you wanted to be set free, you had to pay the price. You had to pay a great deal of money. Um, and often you'd pay it to, technically to a, to a temple god, uh, and that god would pay your owner, slave owner, and you'd be set free, and you'd become a, technically a slave to the god that you gave the money to. But for us as Christians, God himself, the true God, the living God, he's paid the price to set us free. He sent Jesus to be that sacrificial lamb, in verse 19, it says, the one that was pre- the, talks about the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Just as in the Old Testament, people sacrificed animals that people could be forgiven for their sins. Jesus came and died on the cross that we can be forgiven for our sins. And when we see how much it cost God to bring about our forgiveness, And surely we know that we're free from the past. And surely we want to live as people that have been freed from sin. How can we carry on living as though Christ's death meant nothing? Isn't that to deny his, his death? Isn't that really to reject Christ himself? Yes, we'll fail. Yes, we'll make mistakes. Yes, we'll give in to temptation. But surely, as Christians, if we've really understood what Christ did for us, if we've really understood the cost of his death on the cross to forgive us for our sins, then we'll want to turn our backs on that old way of life, and that old way of sin, and seek God's help to live for Christ and to live in a new way. That should shape the way we want to live our lives. Are we shaped by God's grace? knowing that we're freed from sin and we have a future hope. But thirdly, are we also shaped by the fact that God is now our Father? Peter's already mentioned that God is our Father. He says that back in chapter 1, verse 2. Um, we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, and in verse 3, he says that we've been um, given a new birth into a living hope, that sense of, of having a new, new life and a new relationship with God. And in this passage, he keeps referring to us either as God's children or to God as our Father. So in verse um, 14, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. Um, in verse 17, he says, as you call on a father who judges. And in verse 23, he says, for we've been born again. All of these are um, references to the fact that God is our Father, that we are his children. Um, and we should be shaped by that knowledge of that new relationship, that new family setting for us. 
And it's three commands that Peter gives us in this passage that all come out of that idea that um, God is our Father. These are sort of, if you like, the broad brushstroke um, ideas of what the shape of our life should look like. As he goes through the rest of 1 Peter, he'll give us the nitty-gritty of what it means to live for God um, in our world. But, but here he wants to give us the broad picture, the basic outline of the shape of life that we are to live. And the first command he gives in chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, Be holy as God is holy. And doesn't that flow naturally from the understanding that we are God's children? You heard the phrase, like father, like son. Have you noticed that children very easily copy the, the behavior and the attitudes of their parents? Sometimes, as you grow up and, and take on new roles, new parenting roles yourself, you realize that you're behaving a lot like your father behaved towards you. You naturally copy your father. And so as God's children, Peter calls on us to be holy as God is holy. And what does it mean by God being holy? It means that we need to be distinct and different to the world around us. To be holy means to be set apart. And God, if you like, is set apart. He's beyond and above the world. He's set apart in a way that we can't be. He's, he's awesome. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's glorious in a way that, that we can't even begin to grasp. And yet he's also set apart in a way that we can be. By his character. By his attitude. God is a God of kindness. Of compassion. Of love of truth, of faithfulness. And as Christians, we're called to live lives that are like God in that way. To have the same character of God, to have the same attitude as God, to, have, to behave in the same way that God would behave. And as Christians, we can look at the Old Testament and see what God is like, how he cares for the poor and the orphan, for the widow. Uh, in the New Testament, we can see how Jesus behaved and how he, how he looked out for people and he, he welcomed sinners who wanted to come back to God uh, and he cared for them and he cared for people and he sought to heal them where he could. Um, as Christians, we should have those same sort of attitudes, those same sort of concerns, those same sort of behaviours, even though at times it means we will be stand out and be different to the world around us. Because the world around us doesn't care about God, doesn't want to live the way God calls it to live. And so we need to stand out as different. Will you be distinctive? Will you be holy as God is holy? The shape of the lives that we live as Christians should be shaped by this idea of being distinctive and holy in the way God is. And secondly, the shape of our lives should be distinctive in that we should live in fear of God as judge. Now, you might be surprised to hear me say we should be afraid of God and to talk about God as judge. Um, but actually, this links in with the idea of God as Father. In verse 17, it says, Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work. In the time Peter was writing, um, fathers had much more power, uh, much more authority, both legally um, and in practice, in their homes and in their households. Um, in, in Roman culture, um, the father even had the power of life or death over his children. Um, children were rightly obedient to their fathers and respectful of them. 
they were rightly, in a way, afraid of them, possibly more than they, we would like to see in our, in our world. But actually, as Christians, we know that God is the ultimate judge. He is the one who will have the final say about how we've lived and how we've behaved. And so as Christians, um, knowing God as our Father, grateful that God has done everything we need to be saved from our own sins by sending Jesus to take the punishment for us, we'll nonetheless want to live a sort of holy fear where we want to avoid doing things that God says are wrong. Because we don't want to anger God or upset God. And so we'll have a right fear of God. And, and fear is something that does shape the way we live our lives, doesn't it? People actually are afraid of all kinds of things. People um, are afraid of um, being criticised for the way they look. And so we'll go to great lengths to make sure they're wearing the right clothes or have the right makeup and so on. Um, some people are really fearful of failure. Uh, and so might drive themselves really hard to work really hard to make sure. They, they pass their exams or, or they're successful at work or whatever. People um, are afraid of, of being alone for the rest of their lives and, and so would be desperate to, to be with someone else and to find a relationship, often risking very dodgy relationships um, instead of looking for the right person. People's lives are often very much shaped by the fears that motivate them. But as Christians, actually, we should be released from all those destructive fears because ultimately we know that the one we should fear is God's. And what God wants for us is a flourishing, a good, a perfect, and a pure life, not going down destructive ways, but the good ways that he makes for us. To fear God is to be freed from the fear of other things that will, destruct, um, will destroy us. And, and as Christians, we should live in fear of God's. And so ask yourself, what, what are you really afraid of? When, when you look at the, thing, the shape of your life, what is it being shaped by? What fears are you being shaped by? And do you need to realize that God is the ultimate judge that we should fear and worry much less about these other things? So your life is shaped by God and not by these other things. And thirdly, we should love as God loves. Um, Peter says in verse 22, um, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truths that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Um, that word for sincere love, the first love, is actually brotherly love. And um, again, as Christians, uh, as he said, we've been born again of in verse 23, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. As Christians, we share God as Father. Um, it's impossible to have an individual faith where it's just about you and God. Um, I grew up in a family of four. And I, I could have tried to pretend that um, I, was my, I was the only child of my parents, but um, my two brothers and sister would probably have been quite upset by that idea. Now, as Christians, we... Um, had the same father and share the same father as millions of other Christians around the world. We have millions of brothers and sisters in Christ and God puts us with small communities of groups of those Christians where we live um, in the congregations that we, we meet in. 
and God wants us to love them as brothers and sisters. And we're born of this imperishable seed, this, this word of God, this eternal word. And what's it a word about? It's a word about God's love for us. And as Christians particularly, God's love shown to us by Jesus' death on the cross, a, cross, a death that was sacrificial, a death that he, he gave for us even though we did not deserve it. And so our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ needs to be more than warm feelings. It means be more than cosy fellowship. It needs to be sacrificial. And it needs to be despite the people that God calls us to love, despite those other Christians that will, let's face it, let us down, be a pain, be annoying, just not that likeable sometimes. Nonetheless, there are brothers and sisters in Christ and we're called to love them. And can I ask that during this lockdown period, how has your relationship with other Christians changed? Some people tell me that um, because they've been phoning around other Christians and having much longer conversations on the phone than they would do in church, actually their relationship with them has deepened. There's been real signs of people looking out for one another and making sure and praying for one another and making sure that they're cared for and looked after. There's signs of a deepening of love for one another as a result of this COVID-19 situation. But I suspect for other Christians... Actually, this time has been an excuse to isolate yourself more from other Christians, to have less to do with them. Maybe because you've been genuinely upset by other Christians, maybe because actually you're just bored of them, but you're pushing yourself away, and allowing yourself to drift away from those relationships with God's family and God's people. Maybe God wants to say to you today, remember who you are. You have the blessings of the fatherhood of God. You have the blessings of being freed from sins. You have the blessings of that future hope. Are you going to let your life be shaped by those things? Are you going to love as I love? And in being holy, are you going to stand out as distinct people, different to the world around? In all of this, we can ask ourselves, actually, are we any different to the people around us? Are we any different to those that aren't Christians? And if we're not, maybe we should think, think well, how do we need to change our lives? What, what, what needs to be shaped by God rather than the culture around me, the people around me? And if we see ways where we are different to the world around us and we may find, feel uneasy about that or find that difficult, we'll actually celebrate because you're really living out what God wants you to live. You're really, really living out that holiness, that distinctiveness. But, but all of this comes uh, not from just trying harder, but from knowing who we are, from, from celebrating and rejoicing in the fact that we have that future hope, from knowing that we're freed from sin, from knowing that God is our Father, when we know those things and allow those things to shape our lives, we become more holy as God is holy. We live more in fear of God than the world around us, and we learn to love as God loves. But we need to focus on God. We need to focus on his grace. We need to focus on his hope. And Peter finishes this passage by saying, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. What does he mean by spiritual milk? Well, 
the commentators debate exactly what that means, but, but in the next verse he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you know that God is good, if you know that Christ is good, if you know that um, in him is our salvation, that, that, that future hope, that free, being freed from sin, um, knowing God as your father, if you know the wonders of that goodness, then, then drink up more and more, crave more and more, want to know God more and more, want to feel his blessings more and more and have that relationship with him more and more to grow deeper and deeper now that you've tasted that he's good. Be like a newborn baby. A newborn baby wants nothing else than, than to drink. Well, you need to cuddle and some comfort as well, but, but often its focus is just drinking. It craves that milk that will help it to grow up and to shape its life. And as Christians, we should crave knowing God more, trusting him more, hearing from him more, um, being built up in him more, but our lives can be shaped to be the kind of lives God really wants. Will you crave Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you so much for all it teaches us. Help us to know more clearly that future hope. Help us to know that we're freed from sin by Christ's death on the cross. Help us to know that you are our Father. And may our lives be shaped by those truths that we will seek to be holy as you are holy, that we will live in fear of you alone, and that we will learn to love one another as you have loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.